we're doing another review incentive. So at the end of May 2024, we're going to pick one person who wrote a review between now and then to get a free one-on-one session with me. Instructions are in the description of this episode. And I just want to express how much I appreciate you. At this point, if you're a regular listener, you've got a whole bunch of access to the truth of who I am and to my soul. And that makes me feel really, really good. That is exactly the type of relationship that I want for us to be cultivating together. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your review. I hope it's you that I get to do a one-on-one with. I appreciate you so much. Hello, and welcome to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My goal is to help you become exactly who you want to be. We're here to help you take your biggest, boldest, most beautiful vision for life and turn that vision into reality. Welcome back to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. Today's guest is Susie Batiz. And if you're not yet aware of Susie, the chances are that you are very grateful for her product. Susie is the founder of Poopery. This conversation is incredible. So fun. It's a conversation about business and creation using elements of spirituality, psychology, in order to create beautiful, effective, resonant things in three-dimensional reality. You're going to get so much from this conversation. I can't wait for you to listen. Hi. Hey. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you for rolling with the punches with me on that. Well, you know what? I got a new phone number. Yeah. I got my own version of technical things happening. Whatever we want to call that, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes, so with, with one-on-one clients, um, there are some times when there are technical, strange things happening where it's happening during or before a really remarkable session. And I have no idea if this is true. I'm not saying this is true, but the way that I like to think about it is like, there's so much energy happening that the the systems in place, the institutions and the infrastructure aren't built to handle the amount of energy. So they start to fail. Yeah, I believe that. You believe that you're with with me on that? Oh yeah. That's why I'm just kind of like, okay, whatever. Whatever. Just roll. I, I appreciate that that approach so much. What uh how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Yeah. yeah. I um I don't know what that was. Well, I think it was a lot, you know, all these energy things, you know, where I just got married and honeymoon, and then all of a sudden it's like a little upper limit. Yes. Uh like you were too many too many new environments things changing, novelty, and then your body just is adjusting to all those things and gets tired. Totally. You know, we operate on three dimensions, right? So a lot of times, the well, all the time, the body is the most dense. So it's the last to come along. Yes. And what do you see as the other two dimensions? The mental or psychological plane, mm-hmm. and the spiritual plane, mm-hmm. so the physical, I consider the, the body, anything in mass. And that's what I I call it, the temple of transformation. What I say is like, and I've used this with suing a $50 billion company Mm -hmm. with someone threatening a class action lawsuit against me, right? One of my friends is one of the top motivational speakers and they text me and they were in a big deal with like a ex Harvey Weinstein 
employee and I said, here's what you got to do, right? The physical, you hire the attorneys. The mental and psychological, like where has this pattern shown up before, right? Mm. Because that's what it's really about. And then the spiritual is what's all this for? What's this here to show me, to teach me? And I don't believe you can get all the way through until you operate on all three planes. I really like that. So physical is the the money that's being sued for, the lawyers taking care of administrative things and being in court and arguing. The psychological is, okay, this is showing up because somehow this is a pattern of mine. This has been carved out into my psyche. And the spiritual is the is the opportunity for transformation and learning, doing something different to contribute to the spiritual plane. That's it. And that's the reason I think, because I traveled, you know, doing ayahuasca with people like 18 years ago. And a lot of these friends, nobody's lives changed. But what would happen is I would go down to the jungle, go into a journey, I would see from the spiritual aspect. So yeah, sure, there's some physical cleansing and there's some psychological things happening, but really it's just to show you. But I would come back and I would take action in the physical, making the amends, telling the untruths, right? <laughs> like to the point of where I puked in buckets, telling the big bad secret, right? Uh. But then also working with a therapist, right, to integrate that psychological. And I think that's the reason I was able to shift my life so much when most people didn't. Because you, so go going on an ayahuasca journey, getting these massive insights, seeing how you may have been holding on to secrets, holding on to untruths, and and you were eager to come back into this physical experience and address the things in the physical world. You were eager to actually change the patterns and change the expressions of the psyche or the spirit. Whereas you you found that many other people weren't as eager to actually make those physical changes. Totally. That's what they do. They go, oh, I saw it. I cleared it all up. And it's like, no, 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 no. You cleared it up on one plane. Yes. Right? Come back and do it all. And then that's fully moved. Yes. Right? Until then, and then that pattern keeps coming back up. And they're like, oh, I thought I cleared that. It's like, you saw it. Yes. Now yes. you take the action on those other planes to actually integrate, heal, whatever you want to call it. Yes. <clears throat> I, I, I find that one of the things that seems to have happened in the spirituality community and the spiritual perspective is almost like, um, like, like seeing the spiritual plane as at the top of the hierarchy and then, um, not like not not seeing the physical plane as equally valuable. So we're going to it's not it's almost like an elitist perspective. Like the the spiritual perspective is the most elite. The physical body is like the the peasantry. So we're going to ignore that, but then we're we're not going to actually make any changes in our lives because we're not seeing the physical space as as beautiful and important and valuable as the other two spaces. Exactly. In a triangle, each, you know, each plane is exactly equal in value, yes. you know, and yes. they can't move without the other one. So, and like I said, I, I discovered this when I was suing a $50 billion company and everybody, you know, all the attorneys were against it. And I didn't know why I just had a yes, like, okay, you know, these people are, you know, getting in on my territory and this big wig flew down 
from Europe to talk with me. And something happened, Flynn, like this bubble came from my belly and something came out of my mouth. And I looked at him and I said, um, we're going to have a very difficult conversation. He said, okay. And I said, I was molested when I was 12 years old. Somebody tried to take something that was mine. And I want you to know I'm not that little girl anymore. So yes. that that moment when I clicked in, it's like, yes, lawsuit, big, bad company, right? On the physical, you hire the attorneys. But really, the psychological journey was me saying no now, mm-hmm. regardless of how big and scary you are, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I did win. I say that and that we settled. Um <laughs> I know. I still wanted that day in court. (laughs) (laughs) You wanted it. You wanted to get in there. (laughs) I wanted to get in there, you know, but that's, that's the first time it dawned on me like, oh, like these things are about way bigger than what is being manifested in our physical realm. Right. Uh, So it was that experience in court where you were like, this is not just about this lawsuit. There are other things here. This pattern started a long time ago, Right. So am I going to clear this pattern fully within my psyche? And then when I did, and we can talk at some point about the magic that happened. I mean, top executives just quitting after 20 something years with the company, they were just flying off. And what what I realized happened is that when you truly shift in those other planes, the physical world responds mm-hmm. with change. Mm-hmm. Going back to my friend that's the motivational leader, they had the same experience. I said, go look where this pattern, and they wrote 13 times in their lives. This pattern keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Until we can actually clear. So that's what I think these experiences come to us for. It's like, okay, it's here. You see it. Fully accepting, that's another thing, not being in denial. Why is this happening? You know, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. But fully facing. And then once you do, you can see this pattern started a long time ago. You go back to the source of that pattern, heal that. And then the physical world responds with change. Mm-hmm. It's like and, magic. <laughs> and, and how... Um... What do you, what have you found to be the most, so, so you identify the pattern, maybe a friend of yours is she, or they identified it 13 times and it just amplifies. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You, you recognize the pattern and then you seek to go into the psychological element, the, the energetic element, and you go to find the source of where that pattern began, or at least as far back as you can remember, because the way that I see it, I mean, there may not even be a start to the universe, but it could be the case that that pattern began at the start of the universe 13 billion years ago. For sure. So you can only access your the, your memory of the pattern and then make adjustments as far back as you can remember. That's it. Yeah. And just trust that your subconscious mind is showing you, right? exactly what you need to see. And that's what I do. I just trust, you know, when's the first time you felt that? Oh, dang, you know, I was four years old, little girl sitting in the hallway, you know, whatever. Um, and then I can work with that yes. material to work with to yes. shift the pattern. Yes. What I hear in that is that you, the the material that comes into your conscious awareness you trust that that's the right material in that moment right there. Because a lot of people, like when 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 I move in the direction of helping them do that sort of thing, and I'm like, well, tell me about what the experience is like. Like, what do you see in your imagination? What's in your body? Most people say, well, I don't know if this is right, or I'm just making it up, or or I don't know if this is important enough. I feel a, 
tension in my pinky. I don't know if that's enough. It, it, I actually think that it doesn't matter whether or not we're making something up. What it's about is the practice of trusting that the information that's there is valuable enough to explore. That's it. It's trust. That's what I was going to tell you when you were saying that with those patients, what I've learned, because I've done somatic therapy for 20 years. And I remember the first time my therapist said, where do you feel that in your body? And Flynn, my answer was what body? Oh, whoa. That's how far in my left brain I was, right? It was like pure survival mode. Like I literally had no access. Now I will tell you, I have probably one of the most awake, aware bodies of any, that's been my practice since then is like, oh, hold on, let's wake my body back up. And it it has in radical ways, you know, I can feel and sense things, you know, but, but our body is this amazing organism, right? That's here. And I can, I learned this from my mentor, Gay Hendricks. I can trust my body way more than my mind Mm -hmm. because my mind is creative. My body is a store place of energy, right? Like I I just want to let that settle in for people that your mind is creative your body is a store place for energy. And you said earlier, the, the body is, I, I can't remember the exact language you used, but the, the physical plane is the densest of all three planes. So, so the body as a representative of the physical plane stores the creative patterns of your mind. Is that how you would describe it? Completely. And, you know, like the other day, uh, yesterday, I was having some pain in my left shoulder. And I always go back to like Louise, hey, you know, heal your body. I go back to I'm like, oh, what is that? I know it's left feminine. I know that's usually anger. And I'm like, oh, where's that old feminine anger? Right. Mm -hmm. And I was able to identify it and then just feel it. And then my, you know, shoulder stopped hurting. For me, the body is just a reporting system. Mm -hmm. right? It's just kind of going, Hey, there's something here. Mm -hmm. It's like, you go in and go, what is that? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and you, what I'm, what I'm sensing and you haven't said it directly, but what I, what I think I'm picking up on is this energy, this, this energy of like, there's nothing that could happen in your body or your psyche that could scare you. I'm not getting that sense that you're afraid of things that might be in your psyche or be in your body, which the way that I like to describe it to people is like, I, you know, I don't really do anything special. All I do is set myself up to be a Uh, an environment where information wants to show up in. So I just want the information of my psyche to show up. I want the information of my body to want to be in me because I treat it so well and I'm not like shaming it or pushing it away. And I'm, and I think I'm hearing that in you also, there's nothing that the information, there's no information you could get. That's going to scare you. Well, yeah. And I may be scared and it doesn't stop me. I right. like that. Okay. I like that. I, I feel more? the fear, you know, um, for example, uh, I left the company in 2020. Most people don't know this publicly. I've never talked about it, but I left the company in 2020, uh, ran off with a, you know, rock star yes. and moved to LA and did that whole thing, but, um, hired a, a, a person that was really tanking the company. So I came back. Um, in April of 21. And for a year, I overrode what my body, like literally my body would just shake at night, Flynn. Mm-hmm. I had so much trauma, right? From being a CEO that some of your questions in here, you know, have you always done it for the money? 
it's I want to get around to that because it's really juicy. Um, but I had this little smirk on my cheek. So even though my body was shaking, I had this, I followed this little grin. It was really wild. I'm like, how is this happening simultaneously? Right. Uh It's like, I'm clearly in trauma here. So I, I worked for a year and then I finally chose myself and I hired a CEO and I left the company. And what I, I laid in bed curled for about two days in total fear that I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to be a fraud. I'm going to, you know, people are going to be like, she, you know, blah, 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 all these stories of just, and I just went through that ceremony of feeling all that fear, right? Of all of that. And then finally, when I got down to the bottom, you know, and I'd lost everything and I was a joke and I was like, well, that'd make a good story, right? Yes. yes <laughs> and then yes. I left and I literally, two weeks after the CEO was, our COO was hired, I said, I'm moving to California. And I left and I knew I could lose everything. And I didn't, right? It all started growing, but it was facing fully that fear of going, who would I be without all of this? And I moved on purpose. I have a little tiny two-bedroom cottage here in Ojai. And I moved into a little tiny place. I don't have any housekeepers. I don't have any help. I wash my own dishes. I do my own clothes. And I know that sounds kind of crazy, but you can get into a lifestyle mm-hmm. where you're not really doing anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You outsource everything. Everything. So mm-hmm. I came back here, got back down to my roots, and I'm like, I'm good, man. Yes. <laughs> I'm so good. Yes. I don't need any of that. Yes. And that's where my freedom came, but it was from fully facing those really true fears. You know, there's something very, there's a difference between being a person in a two bedroom cottage because you could, you're choosing to be there and you could be in a 10 bedroom home and and then being in a two bedroom cottage because that's your only option that's the best option available to you right and i've been there too <laughs> and you've been there too right and yeah. and I, i'm just curious about that what's it like what's it like for you to be a per- what's it like to be in that place where you're in the two bedroom cottage you have the option of a 10 bedroom home available to you but you choose this other thing. Like what, 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 what's the value in that to you of that to you? The value for me was getting back to my roots, you know, back to um, really who I really am, what I value. Okay. That that's it. I don't value the stuff. Mm -hmm. What I value is the farmer's market and connection and, you know, little, as a matter of fact, that whole year of 21 through 22, I spent probably 90% of my time in my, in my bedroom, in my master bedroom. It's, it's big, right. Mm -hmm. Or my main bedroom. And, um, I I just noticed everything I did was in that bedroom. I was seeking a really small space. Mm -hmm. So I think what it really showed me is that's who I truly am and that I am good. Man, I am so good regardless. I know if I lost everything, 
I would turn the story, sell it, flip it. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes. I have become a master. One of your questions, I think, that you wrote was, what do you love about yourself? What I love is I know how to transform shit. Yes. Literally any shit, you know? It's like that is probably my biggest master quality. Do you think that do you think that you came into this world, into this lifetime with a special capacity for transformation? Um, or do you think that you've learned to transform shit into gold throughout your lifetime? Like, is there, is there something special about you that, that might not be able to be replicated by everyone? Or do you think that what you do is replicatable, replicable for everyone? It's, it's, rep, it, it, yeah, anyone can replicate it, which is what I do in a live OS. I take the things that worked for me and I say, follow these steps. Mm-hmm. They're not the steps I made up. They're my teachers, you know, Byron mm-hmm. Katie and, you know, Gay Hendricks. And it's like, follow these steps. And then people's lives radically change. Mm-hmm. The only reason they're doing it is they're basically removing dissonance, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then they're going towards more resonance, and all of a sudden their life is amazing. It's like mm-hmm. it was it was amazing the whole time. You just weren't making the actual steps, so it gives them permission. So anyone can do it. So, so you you think that is like I think it's fair to say that everyone comes into this lifetime. Everyone comes into their life with an equal amount of creative potential, with an equal amount of potential, and. There are t- certain tools that work to harness and tap into our and and um, go beyond the limitations of our potential. And but most people don't aren't like 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 really. What is it? like? What is it? Why 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 did you come out of the ayahuasca ceremony and you're eager to make changes, whereas you saw a lot of other people weren't? I think I do innately have something that wants to look at the positive. I just posted a story yesterday. You probably didn't see it that my, it's so funny, the paradox here. My dad, when I grew up, he's bipolar, right? He spent most of his time in mania, which was a a nightmare for a child, right? A sensitive child. (laughs) But anyway, that's a whole other story. But what he did do was he was Christian, but he got kicked out of all the churches because he really, I believe, knew the truth. And he would draw these diagrams of, he's like, baby, you can't believe in angels if you don't believe in devils because Mm -hmm. the universe is perfectly balanced. And then he taught me that evil can never overtake good because of that perfect balance. And that in itself is benevolent, right? Mm -hmm. So I was programmed, right? Or conditioned with the belief system that nothing evil can ever overtake good. It just can't because the universe is perfectly balanced. Mm -hmm. We can see evil. We can experience what we consider evil, but it can never overtake the good. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is what I chose to do was always find the good. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I was being interviewed for my story when I lived in Beverly Hills by, um, by a friend that lived up there. And I got to like my suicide attempt at 21. He goes, wait a second. And I go, what? And he goes, and the good news is, and I'm like, why'd you say that? He goes, do you realize you tell me about these horrific things and then you always respond with, and the good news is. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, because there has to be equal good that came out of it, mm. right? That is what happens in duality. Of course, the non-dual approach, which there's still duality and non-duality, mm-hmm. but the the center point is that they both exist. Yeah. 
and they coexist, right? Yeah. Yes. So why not harvest the good that came out of that to bring it back into balance? Yes. And how do you, what are the ways that you know something is good? Like, how do you make distinctions between good and evil? I would say the way I feel in my body. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. So, so even when something horrific has happened to you, like when I heard you say, like, if you lose it all, you'd have a fucking amazing story and you'd sell the shit out of that story and you'd be good. You'd turn shit into gold again. So even, even in the, it's like, if, if you're imagining in your mind that you lose everything, even in that you can find the opportunity for nourishment and life in that you can find the life in your body, even in that experience of everything going away, burning down. Yes. Cause that's the truth. That it's available, that it's there. It's there. It's the way yeah. the universe works. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. literally. Yeah. So I do believe the difference is, and I remember I had, I was just telling my husband this. I had a profound moment a few years ago. Is this, you know, this guy was pushing a lawnmower in the yard. He owned a landscaping, you know, landscaping company or something. And I remember driving by from work in this really clear understanding that the only difference is I believe something else was possible and that's it. So I believe that once we can start clearing up and start harvesting the good, that's the first lesson in Live West. It's called harvest. I talk about how it all works. And the first lesson is let's harvest. Mm. Let's go get all that gold, right? That came out of these supposedly horrific experiences And that helps us look at it from not being on the triangle, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there's no, uh, the triangle is the triangle. They all, you know, the the perpetrator and the, Mm -hmm. all of that, the hero and the um, victim all support each other. So to get off the triangle is to look at the situation from above, right? And kind of go, okay, this happened, but also this happened, right? So it brings it back into balance. Now I can take that and move forward. Mm -hmm. And I believe some people are stuck in that victim, right? Yes, yes. And so I notice, I notice this trend with people who've uh, who've built really beautiful, successful lives, who've achieved a lot. Most of those people, when they speak about the really difficult things that they've gone through, whether they had $30,000, they were $30,000 in debt, whether like they're in a trailer park, whatever it was, everyone seems to speak about this thing where even in their worst moments, they knew that this would be part of a beautiful story that they would get to tell. They knew that there was transformation that awaited them. And they knew that they would be able to use this story in order to help other people, which then in turn helps them. Yes. Do you see that pattern also? Oh, for sure. That's what it's all about. You know, so one of my friends here, Daryl Mark, she's an expert in the feminine heroic journey and the hero's journey, you know, the hero's journey, you know, You guys can Google it if you don't know. But anyway, the hero's journey is you find out you had all along. It's the Wizard of Oz story, right? She goes on this journey. She faces the adversaries. She finds the mentors. And then she finds out, oh, my God, I had it the whole time. That is Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. But the feminine heroic journey is this bottom loop of now I need to share this with others and give it back. Ooh, so the the 
the Joseph Campbell hero's journey is an a climax that moves upward. Yes. And the feminine, the like the hero, the heroine's journey, yes. the feminine hero's journey moves downward and it's about giving it back, giving, giving back from what was gained in the process of the the hero's journey. That's it. And that I've been focused and I've made a, a vow and uh, my husband and I, that we only focus on regenerative activities, mm. right? Things that are regenerating. So the hero's journey is not particularly regenerative. Mm. It is, it is what it is, right? And it will generate something just off what it is, but really the regeneration comes into the replanting and letting others grow through that. Right. And then you that whole cycle is complete. That kind of, the, the thought that pops into my mind is um, the energetic differences between most male orgasms and female orgasms, where most men tend to get super depleted and need to fall asleep. And I know that a lot of women become really energized after orgasm. And I, that, I don't know what the relationship is, but that just thought of that. Do you, do you have well, it? Do you have? Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, I do know. And as a matter of fact, we'll just, I don't, I haven't talked about this. Um, I am going to write a book about it, but because my body's so open, I'll tell all the people here, like I literally have hundreds of orgasms. I'm not joking. Full body. Like where I thought, think I'm having seizures, right? Yes. But because my body is so open, it can just feel sensitive. Like it's so sensitive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that can happen. You know, that's what's amazing. I believe that's our natural, that's the way we are. We're all these amazing orgasmic beings. And it can happen from just a thought. It's not any touch stimulation. It's just literally when a when my husband and I, he can say something that is so true. My body just responds and it's wild. So you orgasm sometimes just in response to something he says at the dinner table a lot yes that's incredible no it's amazing i can't this normal has ever heard of this happening i told him the other day i'm like somebody needs to come put some probes on me or something <laughs> i'm so happy for you too like that it sounds like an amazing experience to have well, that sounds I amazing literally told him early on, like probably our second week together, because I was, my body was, and I said, I think I'm having seizures. And he goes, perfectly timed seizures. I'm, perfectly like, I timed. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, but I just don't think this is normal. <laughs> wow. But that's I, the reason. But if, you know, can I let that flow? And then can I pay attention to that lump that's in my stomach that I want to bend over the table with the the million dollar business decision that my entire team wants to do, right? But I'm sitting here with this lump in my belly and I've got to be the one to say, we're not going to do it mm -hmm. because of this, mm -hmm. right? So there's mm -hmm. no difference. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I don't honor that knot in my belly, I don't get to have those orgasms from a word of truth. Uh-huh. Yes. So, okay. Got it. The The more you are sensitive to the life taking things, because that's, that's how I would categorize that. The lump in the belly is a, it's an experience of decay or death, which is not, I don't see that as bad, right. but what it sounds like what you're here to do is to regenerate and contribute to life, which you need to use death to contribute to life. 
but yes. what you're what you're doing there with the the lump in your belly is using death to contribute to life in the way that you see fit to to build to 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 you like you have a special perspective on life and only you can build life the way you can build life and you have to use this death in order to build life that way yes completely and it's and, be, and killing uh-huh. this and that's where the courage and that's the reason i think that we don't you know, ultimately, what's our one thing? We want to be loved, right? <laughs> like, that's it. That's the bottom, 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 net, net. We don't want to be alone and we want to be loved. But um, that's when all those fears come in. I'm going to be outcast. Everybody's mad at me. You know, people aren't going to approve of this, you know, and that's where in the past I would override and do the thing codependent, right? To mm-hmm. please everyone else. Yet I was denying myself. Right. Right. Which I imagine produced less satisfying results overall. Always, always. I have used the business as a Petri dish for all of these principles. I've lost millions of dollars going against them. I've made millions going with it. Like literally this whole thing has been a game and it's been how big of a risk can I take and how much can I really trust this shit? When When real shit's on the line, you know, I say real None of it's really real, right? It's all just, yes. it's all energy and it all is real. But yeah, it's like, how how big can I play and how big can I trust this? I was speaking with my buddy Connor about this this morning, um, that there seems to be this relationship where, where okay, if we want to deeply know ourselves, if we want to go deep into our subconscious, here's here's how I see it. Some We, we can't force that. Like we can't claw our way into the depths of ourselves to understand it. We have to set up an environment on the surface that invites and magnetically attracts the information in our subconscious to come up to the surface because it knows it's going to be met with awe, wonder, curiosity, warmth. And also a lot of people leave it at at, at awe, wonder, curiosity, like surrender and relax and that's it. And I find that a lot of those people are not as satisfied and fulfilled as they want to, because what seems to be true is that in order to massively understand yourself and explore and understand and see and explore the depths of who you are, the depths of your psyche, it seems to be that you have to have massive external goals. You have to have like a target that's so the further away your target is, it seems to be the case that the, 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 equally deep you get to go inside of yourself because it's the process of moving towards that target while cultivating that wonderful, loving, warm relationship with the information and on, on the surface of your awareness that brings all the stuff up that needs to be brought up. Yes. And one thing I recently realized is how much doing that I've been doing And now I've been tuning into being. So that point where all of this, you know, working to get to that point, the other perspective I've been seeing is I identify that point and I hold that particular vibration and I am being moved through, right? Experiences that come up, whatever, you know, happens. So it's less working and it's more like oh this has shown up okay Mm. this is here to clear you Mm. know because i have that point there and it's a very kind of passive um 
I don't, I don't know. It, there's yeah. not a lot of action, right? It's literally just holding a vibration. So do you, do you have, um, do you have, are you, are you doing that in any way in your life right now? Like, do you have a particular business goal and you're holding that point so that, so that I can understand more about what that's like for you to be doing that? Yeah. And, uh, one point I'll just tell this cause it popped in. Okay. So we're going to trust that. Yes. Um, I built a company. I started a company in 2007. We were in a recession, 2008, 2009, and everyone's calling me, you know, my friend who speaks on Bloomberg, you know, calling me going, Oh my God, this guy's falling. Right. It's, this is horrible. You cannot be in business sell. And I, it's, it's like I had on blinders and I would say, I see what you're talking about. And my reality is I'm abundant. My business was growing. I ended up growing 735% during a recession, right? Mm-hmm. Selling a $10 product against a dollar can of like a Glade. Mm-hmm. So it was an extremely premium product in a recession. But that point that I held was the truth. The truth is I'm abundant. You know, money is coming in. So I'm not going to get into your fear story right? If things start changing, then I face reality and make those changes. But right now, I'm not going to make any shifts because I am sitting in literally abundance. And mm-hmm. that is the truth, regardless mm-hmm. of what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's the point that I'm talking about. Yes, I, I, I got what you're saying. So, okay. What came through for me as as I was hearing you speak about that, I say, okay, you said 735% during a recession. That's how much you grew. Okay. I remember during COVID about all the critiques, uh, like all the ways that people were criticizing Amazon and Jeff Bezos for growing tremendously during COVID and a bunch of other companies who grew tremendously during COVID. And I I like to take a very like curious and I like to take a very curious approach. So I recognize some things that Amazon are doing that's harmful and I don't like, and I would like to be better. I also recognize that Amazon is doing some of the most beautiful things in the world. And I think it's important to hold that perspective. And so when Amazon grows, however much they grew during the recession, I have no idea how much they grew during COVID. Like some people would say, oh, that's that is a symptom of the evils of capitalism. Whereas other people might say, well, maybe Jeff Bezos and his team are operating on a level that most other people are not operating on. And maybe they are people who are able to create success from shit. And and I'm not saying, I'm not presenting this like I have an answer to that, I'm, but I'm curious about what you think about that. Yeah, again, let's go back to the balance, right? They do so much evil, but also so much good. Saved me a lot of time in my life. Yes. So, um, I think where I'm, I'm writing actually a business course called Amplify. It'll be based on the Alive OS principles. But basically, I think where the possible out of integrity move is within Amazon, all, all things are good and bad, right? Everything. That's what we talked about. It's the way the universe is balanced. Um, but I think it's that the feminine arc is missing mm-hmm. in the giving mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I may be, you know, using up all these fossil fuels, 
So therefore, the giving back portion is what can I do to replenish the earth? And then we have a completely regenerative system. Yes. And and I I have no idea what Jeff Bezos and, and, and Amazon are doing philanthropically, but I imagine that they are giving back in a lot of ways. But when you were saying that, what I what I was thinking about was like, well, I wonder if there's if there's a version of giving back that's still masculine hero's journey giving back, like it's probably primarily motivated by tax incentives. And then and then and then a different version of giving back that's more heroine's journey version of giving back, like truly motivated about the the about uh collective well-being and that those two different versions of giving back are different and produce different results. And what do you think? Completely. And I have something, I mean, I've done a lot of ayahuasca and I've seen, (laughs) I've seen the fact I've put 170 million plastic bottles into the world. Like I can't unsee that. Right. Mm -hmm. So my responsibility is the, and, and, and I think where it gets diverted, it's like, oh, I've done all this, but I'm going to give a million dollars to cancer research, which I think is great. But what we're missing is the eye for an eye, right? Mm-hmm. So what I'm interested in and what I'm doing is setting up a karma fund for the innovation of plastic, right? I had a friend that's a multi-billionaire supply chain expert, and I w- I spent years trying to get out of that plastic bottle, and he goes, just stop it, stop it. And he won't even fly um, private because of the fossil fuels, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to do better in the world, making a bunch of money and then investing in actually solutions. Mm-hmm. They are trying to change this plastic bottle, but the response, the regenerative responsibility comes in. I did this. What can I do to amend this to mm-hmm. bring back and restore balance? And then that becomes that regenerative system. Yes. I, I speak a lot about how, like for me, the fundamental metric is, does this give me energy or does this deplete me? And a lot of people seem to get that. They're like, oh shit, I realize I've been being certain ways and thinking certain things that I I haven't really examined, but maybe I was thinking they were giving me energy, but the truth is they deplete me, right? And then some people hear that perspective and they're like, oh, that's just giving people permission to pursue sex, money, and power and continue being addicted to coffee, right? And when I hear that, I'm like, oh, like I I get what you're trying to do, but you're you're applying, you're you're using such a surface, you're using this model in such a surface level way. Because what I'm hearing you say is like you are growing your business, growing yourself, using your business as a vehicle for your own transcendence and transformation. And what I hear is that it's primarily motivated by the amplification of energy. You are giving yourself more energy and increasing your capacity to invest energy into the world. And in the process of that, you'll do things that are depleting. And you find that maybe on ayahuasca or maybe taking a walk by like that that clench in your gut, like, oh, fuck, I've produced this many plastic bottles. Now there's a version of that where you're like, fuck it, I don't care. I'm going to continue chasing energy in this way. Right. And that I can understand that. But if the goal is energy and what you're doing is repressing and ignoring something in you that realizes it's creating depletion, then what you get to do is face that head on and do something different that produces more energy. That's, that's what I hear you saying that you're determined to do that. That's it. Yeah. And that's where Freud says secrets will make you sick. 
That whole concept is that any of that stuck energy that we feel, you feel it. I've I've rarely seen anybody saying, I don't feel it. Like when you really get in there, like you, you feel it, right? It's just, I, I won't put this on everyone else. I conditioned myself through, you know, whatever happened in my life to not feel right. And to not pay attention to that. But the more I pay attention, I can truly trust that, that it is the best within I call uh, Perea living dynamic organism. I think every business is an entity. You know, a corporation is an entity, mm-hmm. right? So what can we do for that entity to grow and thrive? You know, one of our um, our marriage vows was, you know, uh, it's based on Gay and Katie's book, Conscious Loving, which is so good, by the way. But it's, um, you know, I commit to your highest growth and aliveness. I commit to our union's highest growth and aliveness, and I commit to my own highest growth and aliveness. When we are committed, even within this business, to what is in the business's highest growth and aliveness, telling the real truth about that, then that will flourish and grow. It's like a plant. You have a plant. You're watering it. You're giving it. You know what it needs to thrive. They're so different in business. Yes. You think your shit won't come up in business? You ain't looking because yes. all, all those patterns, they're going to be there, whether it's yes. business, whether it's a relationship, whether it's whatever you're doing, the pattern is there. And for me, I think business is an amazing mirror, right? It's, I think it's the best mirror. It's the best mirror, man. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. I don't think there's a better mirror than business. Yeah, I have this one story where I brought this coach in and he wasn't conservative Christian. Anyway, and this big to-do happened in my company with a few people. And there was like this threat of like a lawsuit, which was so wild because I'm just bringing a coach in. We were doing radical things. Okay, we're like screaming on the floor and releasing energy. It was it was pretty wild, but it wasn't received well. And as this person is screaming at me saying, and my body's shaking, right? Because of the energy that's being directed at me. And I hear he's the antichrist. He's a false prophet. My first thought was, I haven't heard those words in 40 years. This is really old. Mm. So what I did was, this is about old religious stuff, right? <laughs> I put a marker in that. I went out, I called my HR attorney, said, hey, here's this threat. You know, I need you to get on this. I'm going to be over here doing this. They know me, right? I said, because this is some really old shit I got to dive into. So I started diving from a spiritual and psychological level. Do you see? Yes. It's, like, it's not about this. Yes. At all. Yes. And I am, I've trained myself enough to be able to see the pattern for what it is and not judge as much the experience. Yes. And okay. This, one of the things that I find myself, I was actually just, just trying to explain this to a client because sometimes Clients will ask me, like, um, when I'm explaining something or a way of existing in the world, and and they they're getting it. They're like, yes, I like that. I want to do that. And then sometimes they'll ask me, like, what's it like for you, so that they can learn about how I do it. And it's hard to explain sometimes. And I, and I want to actually ask you the same question. So when you hear the thing, um, false prophet, and all that, like, how do you know? That that's some because if if he were to let's say um, 
if he were to use different words and he and he used a pattern of, oh, beautiful, wonderful, like you wouldn't have been like, oh, that's something to address. So when you hear something like him saying false prophet, false prophet, how do you know that that's a pattern that would be wise to address? Like what's the information that you're privy to that lets you know, oh, this is something I have to move towards and transform? Yeah, I think, first of all, the training in somatic therapy, right? And responding and trusting the body and then the thought, right? So what it was, what it is like for me is that thought just emerged. I haven't heard that in 40 years. And then I follow that thought. I trust it. And I go, oh, 40 years. This is really old. Oh my God. This is about all that religious shit that I need to clear up, right? Because I was raised in really conservative Church of Christ, where if you dance or um, wear shorts, you're going to go to hell, right? Uh-huh. Like literally, uh-huh. you're just going to hell. You're going to yep. hell. Yeah. And I had no idea how much I was really seeded into my even, you know, genetically, right? Yep. Some of this programming. Um, so I do believe it is probably like a bodybuilder that can bench like 400 pounds, right? I started with what body to all of a sudden being able to trust when they say, you know, what thought when you see that black lump in your belly, oh, hold on, I'm six years old, right? Mm-hmm, I've mm-hmm. learned I have a muscle there. Mm-hmm. You and know that, how to, yes. That muscle's developed fast. It's yeah. like in the experience, wow, and it's yes. like, oh boy, you know? Yes, yes, yes. And, and trained okay. it. You've just, you've just practiced it over and over. You trust the information that shows up to you and you apply curiosity to it. You're like, oh, interesting. What's happening here that this 40 year old pattern is showing up? What's, and it takes you back to like, if you wear shorts, you're going to hell, which by the way, like this is kind of related, a little unrelated. When I hear that thing, when I hear the, the church sharing a narrative like that, I actually have a very compassionate. I experienced that very compassionately. I'm like, oh, this church is they the way that they're conceptualizing hell is that that's bad. And if we can figure out how to avoid the bad thing, then we're going to get what we want. Then we're going to get energy. So the thing that 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 we're going to do here is make everyone afraid of hell and create rules. And if everyone follows the rules, then they get energy, then they get what they want. And it's just a bad strategy. It's I don't see that as evil. I mean, it could certainly be described as manipulative. And I know many people who are in that world are manipulative. Many people who are in every world are manipulated. Yeah. I just see that as a bad strategy and people who don't know what their actual goals are and aren't like actually hitting their goals. They're actually they maybe producing the opposite of their goals. Yeah, that's it. And like something happened uh, when my husband and I met, we spent the first two months literally not sleeping or eating. It was crazy. I kept texting gay going, am I okay? Like Meaning like you're so like immersed oh. in each other's worlds. Like, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. I, I, no, I kept going. Or am I like? Have I have have I? Is this like? It? Have I? Yeah, like. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I've got gay there, PhD in psychology. You know, he's like, no, you're good. I'm like, okay. But one night, I was going to the bathroom, probably like 3 a.m., and I was like, he's the devil, because how could he be this great, right? And I was literally like, I think he's the devil. I've been possessed. He's the devil. Like a handsome devil. Handsome devil. With with a word at the dinner table can just cause a seizure. 100% devil. And then I go to pee and I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm like, 
man, if he's the devil, then send me to hell because that's yeah. the place I've ever experienced heaven. And we have a line. He's a musician. We have a line in one of our songs of that. But it was the truth. It was like, if this is true, can I just dive my ass into it mm. and mm. see what happens? If he is the devil, if this is hell, can I just go to hell? Can I just go? Because yes. it feels too good, right? Uh-huh. And then, uh-huh. of course, in that, he becomes not the devil because that's, again, back in that story. That's when you become back. Yes. Alive. Yes. It's like, fine, man. Yes. Send me to hell. Like, yes. Interesting. Because yeah. what I hear in that, okay, one version of that is you go to the bathroom at 3 a.m. to pee, two months of not sleeping or eating. It occurs to you that this might be the devil. And then you get terrified and you're like, I cannot do this. I need to go. I need to, I, you, you zip yourself up. You shut okay. yourself up. What I hear in that, that to me is not that it's not about not trusting the devil. It's not about not trusting hell. It's that you don't trust yourself if you were to meet the devil and you don't trust yourself if you are in hell, but because you're peeing at 3 a.m. and you trust yourself, or at least you're open to finding out who you are when you meet the devil, you're like, all right, let's go. Yes. Because I kept following my body. And as a matter of fact, when we got married, I went and asked Gay and Katie, I'm like, should I marry Keith? And we went through the pro. And I, well, I first asked, when should one trust the, the body over? Should they always trust the body over the mind? Mm. And Gay said, well, how about we not talk about the one? And you asked me that sweaty question that you have. <laughs> oh, man, I leave my head down on their bed. And I was like, I popped up and I got I feel like I'm in an ayahuasca ceremony. He goes, yes, you are. You are. <laughs> you are <Yeah>. one. <laughs> so I asked this question and it was the point to where, because what I didn't realize is when you're faced with this much love, guess what else comes out? The shadows, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, gnarly, right? Gnarly. Right. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know? And and those were shadows that you hadn't yet had the opportunity to face because you hadn't yet experienced that much love. Exactly. You know, so I'm, you know, from one, my mind is going, this is some shit, right? Yes. My body keeps saying yes. So I keep following my body and following my body and following my body. And it's really about disengaging, not disengaging because the mind is so wonderfully creative and yes. you know, it's incredible, but not letting it rule, right? Yes. And the body balance to go, hold yes. on, this mind's making up these stories. Where do those stories originate, you know? Yes. And trusting that the body knows. I I really agree. Like I I find so many people it's it's really sad and so I mean I I I never get swept up into sadness. I also see it as beautiful and I'm optimistic about it, but it is difficult to see how people be trapped in their mind as if the things in their mind are the truth and hoping that there's such thing as the truth to compare themselves to. It's it's and it is really beautiful to see when that person who's been so desperately hoping that the answers exist in their mind starts to understand that there really are, at least the way that I see it, there are no answers. There's just the experience of my body. That's all that there is really. And constructing a life of like trusting your body, what it what what seems to happen is that the people who do that, who are in this physical space 
in their body, listening to the information of their body, it seems to be the case that those people on average end up building beautiful lives. That's it. And we're going to loop back to the purpose of the rest of my life. And that is to get people back into our bodies. Everybody's afraid of AI and the metaverse and everything. I'm whatever. I love technology. I believe that, you know, it's evolution, right? But um, I believe our hope for humanity is us getting back to these organisms that know that way we can start differentiating, right? And we can start sorting through all the data. Mm-hmm. Is by coming back, but yes. not until we do that. So I actually believe that is that is our hope for humanity. Let's all get back into our bodies, man. I'm really with you, and when I and I can really appreciate the perspective of like the, the terror of AI, the terror of big data, but I also I don't for many people who are who are like very very integrated into their bodies. I don't hear very many people who are integrated into their bodies express terror about AI. It's not that precise. Like it's not going to be that crazy. It's a tool. And again, the universe is balanced. You think AI is not going to do bad things? Come on. Exactly. We have to operate in duality. It's just the way it is. You it's know, just the way it is. it's, it's kind of like the hell thing. Like the way that I see it is like, okay, if let's say the worst AI thing, like the worst predictions of AI come true. Like I still trust myself in that environment. Like I'm still going to create myself in that yeah. environment. So it's the same thing as right now. It's just an opportunity for creation. Completely, one hundred percent. And to deny it is to deny evolution. I agree, and and it just seems to be depleting and less creative if to be in a space of denial. Yeah, completely. I can't remember the guy's name, but he talked about the noosphere. I'll think of it in a second. But he talks about how like in I think he did this like in the 40s or 60s. And he said that it was uh, Pierre, someone. uh, Anyway, he he said that we would have a noosphere, which is the thinking layer wrapped around the planet. And then there's another guy in the alphabet and the goddess said that we couldn't birth um, children anymore because our skulls were growing so much, it would have been the end of civilization. So the internet was created as this thinking layer. It's just evolution. Yeah. Man. Yes. That makes a lot of to store information because if our heads got bigger, then women's hips would be too wide to be able to walk. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's like entrusting in that, that there is something guiding yes. everything that yes. has to be benevolent because yes. we're all here. And and to see like to see AI or to see the internet as distinct from nature and to think that there's something like true nature and AI or the internet is different. It's just, I mean, it's certainly one way of seeing it and I can respect that. I just don't think it's the right way of seeing it. It doesn't make sense to me to make those distinctions. It's just what's happening. It is the expression of evolution. Exactly. And another insight that I had that I thought was just so good, man, is I think where the potential, I think where the opportunity is, let's put it that way, is that the people right now making these decisions for all the walls they're putting in for AI, that's being done from the left brain, right? As opposed to people being in their body, when you look at a tree, the organism is so, it's not like... 
you know, no 90 not, degree angles. It's not so right. You know, it is this free flowing. And I believe if we can get people back into their bodies when they're making those decisions with AI, that it will grow and flow and uh, flourish more organically than us trying to contain and hold with our, we're never going to let out left brain it. Right. Right. That's and, just crazy. And you know what the funny thing is like the, the, our left brains are the things that have been able to figure out how to create 90 degree angles, which is beautiful. But like, I'm looking at this window right here, which couldn't exist without 90 degree angles, but 90 de degree angles are a product of the human left brain. It doesn't exist pre-human, but what seems to happen, like if I were to let 90 degree angles are really weak. So if if we were to let this happen, it would crumble and it would turn into the uh, weaving branching patterns of the tree. So what does seem to happen is that the strongest, most sustainable patterns in the universe, like what you're talking about, tree branching weaving, they just kind of tend to take over. And that's why I am chilling because I trust those waves and those spirals and those branches. They're just what happen yeah. and they, they're beautiful. Yes. And it, it's just evolution. I don't know if you ever studied Barbara Marks Hubbard, but Buckminster. A little Hubbard. bit, yeah. The, oh, yeah, yeah. Her, her idea of revolution. Yes, and I love evolution, her, maybe. And I love her idea that these these resonant things that we are drawn towards are evolutionary impulses, and that's one of the things I talk about, you know, in Alive is that what if what saves humanity is actually that idea that lights you up and turns you on, right? Yes. But if that's the only recipe, you yes. have something giving it to you. Now just follow it, regardless yes. of what that contribution is. Yes, yes. And if oh, everyone 100. did that, the evolutionary process would just be so much more fluid. And that's what I practice in my life, right? It's like, oh, can I get flow back? Can I remove this particular barrier? Can I stay open and curious to what's going to happen to this amazing ride, man? Who yes. the fuck knew? And yes. that's it. Let's go back to this, too. That's an, another reason I don't set any goals. I don't have any vision boards because why would I limit the power of what could be created. I could have never, ever, 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 ever created this. Had I sat with my mind and said, you know, I just never would have dreamt this big. That's got so to stay open. I'm surprised. It's way bigger than I ever thought. That's really, really cool to hear. So when you when you described yourself as having that single point that exists somewhere remember what I'm talking about. And then you're just attracted to that point. So that point that you hold in your intention or in your awareness is not necessarily a goal and it doesn't look a specific way. It's So if, it, if it's not a specific goal and if it doesn't look a specific way, then what is it that you're holding in your mind as, you, as what you're moving towards or being pulled towards? What I hold in my consciousness is that balance in the universe is that no matter what's happening, it's always balanced and it always tips towards benevolence and being just open and curious to what that's going to look like and uh, being okay with whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what you, your, your 
primary organizing focus and intention, what you hold in your mind and in your body and in your spirit is this understanding that the good and the bad are always in balance and it always move it always tips towards benevolence one of the ways that i would describe that is like you don't have to do work to organize your chaos look at a solar system like the principles of organization and coherence already exist and we can just let them happen um completely so that's it because something's orchestrating everything. Yes. Exactly. So right. Can I get out of the way, man? It's like I, anytime, no worries. Anytime I um, get stuck, I was just telling my daughter this. I was trying to go to Austin to see my new grandbaby that was just born. And it, it just was, it, it was not in flow. Everything was flow. So I felt all this constriction, right? And I was getting stressed out. Time crunch is one of my things, you know, and I was just like, I can't make it work. And I had this really remembering that, oh, hold on. Constriction means something else wants to happen. Mm -hmm. So let me let go of what I planned. Right. Let me pay attention to the constriction. And then can I move towards whatever that new thing is? And then it was immediately once I, I I spent like an hour and a half in this constriction, like, oh my God, we got to go. We're not going to make it, which is a long time for me. Right. But again, that's how long the learning took. And then I, and then I was like, oh, okay, we're going to go to Ohio now on Sunday, not Saturday. We'll go, you know, I, I rearranged everything. It was like, oh, my complete body just relaxed. It's my expectation and holding on, which I'm not trusting the universe, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Because all those stories, how they planned for us to be there. We made a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da versus really trusting the flow. It was not in flow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trusting the the habit. I don't like to call them the laws of the universe because I've, I've, like Rupert Sheldrake, who I love, has presented some evidence that we can't prove that anything is a law in the universe. Like it may even be the case that the speed of light changes. It's not constant the way that we think it is, which is really cool. Um, so I like to think of it as the habits of the universe. What it seems to be is that the like one of the strongest habits of the universe is to organize, is to create coherence. Yes. And sometimes you lose sight of that. Like sometimes you lose sight that this thing already exists. You don't have to do anything to organize. You just can let the organization happen. And when you do that, the more consistently you practice that, which you would describe as trusting the universe, the more the more things seem to be built beautifully in your life. Completely. It's just the way it is. It's 100% the way it is. People can put... I, I guarantee it. Like I've done it over and over and over and over and over again. Yes. You know? And once I'm open, it always ends up way more benevolent and good than I could have ever imagined. That's amazing. But am I willing to just go through it and fully face? That's another thing going back. And I won't try to heart. I, I, I think religion or organized religion has a lot of good, again, equal, right? Yeah. But one of the... One of the sort of negative things is that, you know, the devil made me do it and Jesus saved me. There's a lot of outsourcing going on. Yes. 
right? Yes. <laughs> There's not any fully facing oneself. What I realized this whole thing, you know, you know, someone sitting in church and they go, oh my God, I've been cheating on my husband or wife, you know, whatever. And, you know, they're faced, right? The truth, they see it. They run up to the front. Oh, the devil made me do it, right? Instead mm-hmm. of taking accountability. Yes. Right. Here's what I did. Yes. Right. And then now I'm going to make right action. I'm going to yes. do the amends. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to take action steps towards that's full accountability rather than Jesus just came in and saved me and I'm all good. Yep. Right. What to do with this. It's like, what? no. One way, one way of seeing, which I, if it's like, this is related in a cool way. You could say that the devil made you do it if you, take ownership of and recognize that you are the devil and Jesus. <laughs> exactly, right? Yes. It's like, I am all of it. How am, How can I not be? You know, in the Bible, it says you're the mirror image. Mm, I am a reflection of all. Yes, yes. Yeah, so how yes. can I not also be that? Right, and I, I think that's like, it's it's really important that I think people understand, like, and to, to access the fruits of heaven I it seems to be the case that it's wise, or I might it might even be it's it's might even be better to say it as a rule that we must be willing to go into the depths of hell. We must be willing to see that we're the devil, we are the Nazis, we are the worst things that have ever happened. Each I am the worst things that have ever happened. They're all in me. I'm capable of them all and the best things that have ever happened. And I think the further that a person is willing to go into the depths of that darkness and own that, the further they're able to access like all the, the beautiful cornucopia of croissants and fruits in heaven. Yes. Well, um, my husband is actually going to be coming out under the name preacher. He's been a ordained minister since he was 15, but he's teaching me a lot about the Bible again, right? Bringing me back to, and the story he tells of the garden of Eden is that, you know, here Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, right? And their only job was to name things. Isn't that interesting? Sound, sound creates form. So they're just in the garden, naming things. They're just being and right and naming. And then God says, don't eat of the knowledge, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what he explained to me, that's don't eat of the of the belief in duality. Mm. Do you see? Yes. He didn't yes. say don't eat off the tree of knowledge, which is what I'd always heard, but it's yep. the don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you tap into good and evil, it's a rocky ride. Yeah, as if one of those things is true and the other isn't, rather than both existing. Yes, it takes you out of the garden, right? Yes, yes. Because when yes. you're over there, when you take that bite, and that's yes. only a sin is only misaligned action. Yes. Right? It's like, oh, I bit believing that only these two things exist. Therefore, I experience heaven or hell versus just being in the garden and being just with being all of it. Yeah. Cool? Yes. Yes. I love that. I've it's been diving. So I've been diving into the Bible, into the teachings of Jesus over the last year and a half. And I, I didn't grow up religious. I didn't grow up in any church. And it's fucking amazing. It's, amazing. <laughs> it's really good. Like that, what you just shared is so cool. 
It's so cool, man. And that's, you know, that's, that's my mission. That's what I want to talk about. That's it. This is all I care to talk about anymore. It's like, I don't want to talk about, which is why I was so excited about our interview. Normally I get these questions and they're just so like the same stories. Yeah. I really want to appreciate your um, level of depth and uh, level of depth and your curiosity. Thank you. Well, I, I got to say that what I, I like a couple moments throughout our interview, I've thought to myself, oh my God, I'm having so much fun. And I think it like there, we have a lot of models of speaking about these kinds of things where the, the way of speaking about it is not that much fun. Like it has to be serious. And to me, That is someone biting the apple from good and evil. Like what I loved about this conversation is your capacity to be all things at once. And then just to be delightfully in a garden where there's all this amazing shit to explore. That's the experience of life. I love the most. And I love that you are that person. Ah, thank you. And and you too. It's so fun because what's going to happen is going to, it all happened. How do you know that it needed to happen? It did, right? Apparently, it's like, okay, let's face that. Now, once we do that, then we can really just start playing. That's it. You know, it's like, can we play? I call it the very first book. Oh, you asked a story about Eliza West. I wrote it 18 years ago and I called it Inside Out, How to Create a Life You Desire by Going Within. Mm -hmm. So I had had my second bankruptcy wanted to kill myself again, but had children, wasn't going to go there, really laid in the floor and told God, like, you need to give me a disease. You need to take me because I can't do this life anymore. And um, then I went to go see Byron Katie and was just, you know, completely sat crying in grace for two years after a 10 day workshop, you know, mm-hmm. just filled with grace. And I wrote this course. I knew where abundance was an inside job. I knew wealth was internal. There was no need for it. I had no money. I was two years out of a major bankruptcy. You know, I say no money, you know, barely. But I didn't need it. And I taught the course to five women, my friends. No one finished the course. I didn't finish it. And I remember having the thought like, oh, I think I have to create success so that people will listen to me. Uh Uh-huh. Within six months, the idea for Poopery came, and that's this journey I've been on. Whoa. Isn't that wild? That's incredible. I know. And then a few years ago, I had an astrology reading. My ex-husband had brought that binder. He found it up in the attic. He brought it. It was sitting on my desk, and I was having an astrology reading. And she said, you did something 13 years ago the world wasn't ready for, and it is now. And I looked over, and I went... I wrote this course 13 years ago. She goes, yeah, you're going to teach people about money and energy. Anyway, so that launched me, you know, rewriting wow. it for now. That's re- that's remarkable. What's what's particularly what, I mean, there's so many things that stands out as beautiful to me about that. What I love is that you wrote the thing before you had the experience and you realized that the thing didn't have the power that you wanted it to have because you hadn't yet had the experience. So then you used the thing to have the experience. And now you teaching the thing was not just a hypothesis, but it was the truth. But you knew the thing before you had the experience. 100%. I I knew it. And then I, 
have, you know, kicked myself around a couple of times going, you knew this, you know, why didn't you just, you didn't have faith in yourself. True. And, you know, what does any of that matter? But think about the three planes, right? I had the spiritual understanding. I had the psychological shift, but it hadn't been created. You hadn't. Yes. Yes. You hadn't materialized it. You hadn't made it concrete. Exactly. Yes. Oh my God. That's amazing. Isn't it? So now when I stand before anyone, it's like, these aren't just theories, man. Like this shit worked. Like it has been in the kitchen tested, you know? (laughs) Yes. You have been on a first date and used the product that this created. Like it works. Over and over and over and over again. And it's not just about building abundance again is an internal state of being you can't be from this place my experience is when i am abundant inside with love and joy and happiness and peace that again all three angles all three levels right the physical comes yes because there's no block yes and you and you have to hold yourself accountable to building in the physical right like you built poopery you did the physical things to build it well yeah it's 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 a parent yes a parent right you have Mm. a child the responsibility is oh shit now i gotta take care of it Mm. (laughs) alive and healthy so Uh, me i had that same internal responsibility to uh, is also the child is gonna grow and get bigger and accumulate experience and transform whether like whether or not you're involved so it's like what are the how do i tend to the cultivation of this child or this business what are the responsibilities to to give it life but it's but it's growing with or without you exactly and also that's another reason i use the opposite marketing than most people do. Like if you go to an agency, they'll ask you, what's your core demographic? You know, when they come up with Opala, you know, she has two bedrooms, you know, two dogs, whatever, you know, what I've always done in our brand guide is who is, is now Puri, but who is Puri? What's her voice? What does she look like in the world? What does she say? What does she do and not do? Mm -hmm. Right. What gives her aliveness? What is off brand for her? Because the stronger you can build that authenticity within that living dynamic organism, the people that resonate with it will resonate. Mm -hmm. It does not. The reason we have all these mass whitewashed fucking greenwashed products is because they are trying to be everything. They are shifting the living dynamic organism to serve a purpose mm-hmm. for their agenda mm-hmm. versus what is this? You wouldn't do that. Hopefully you wouldn't do that. Well, people do do that to children, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. It's hopefully you sit back and go, what the hell are they going to be? You know, yes. when they grow up, this is a cool ride, you know, and that's the same way I treat business. It's this, this entity is an entity. It's an entity and it's an organism and it is growing. You yeah. get to tend to its growth. Yes. And be in a state of wonder as you tend to, as you take responsibility and tend to it. Yeah. And total gratefulness, man. 
it's the most beautiful relationship. I face my deepest fears there and my, you know, biggest, you know, joys. It's like this ride is just amazing. And I'm not sure people have that particular connection. They see a business as a vehicle yes. versus this is this living organism that I am moving and dancing with. And we are seeing what our journey looks like together. Yes. Want to know? So there's this guy named Vaclav Smil. I think that's what his name is. Super smart guy. He he's wrote a few books, and he wrote this one book called Growth. And what he's doing is taking a, he's finding the principles of growth that express themselves in all things in the universe, from brains to cities to businesses to mice to elephants. And he says points out something really interesting that businesses grow at the same like given their scale at the same metabolic rate as like any other, like a mouse or an elephant. It is the same thing and it operates with the same energetic consumption and energetic production. He does say, this is super interesting, that the human brain or brains and nervous systems are the most complex growth organisms that exist in the universe. And the only thing that mirrors human brains are human cities. So brains and cities are in their own category of organisms that follow their own rules of growth that are different from a mouse or just a human being as an entity uh, or a business. Isn't that interesting? That's so interesting. I know. I was like, I'd love oh to read God. that. Yeah. He's, ama- he's incredible. Um, he He's incredible. Hey, this has like not not even just podcasts like in my life been one of the most nourishing and fun conversations there's a, so much dancing and weaving here and i appreciate you so much and all the things that you've built and all and the way that you live your life oh thank you i appreciate you like i said i knew when i got your questions i'm like yes this is going to be a fun conversation i was so looking forward to it so thank you so much. I appreciate uh, being able to dance with you like this. And let's do it again. There's a lot I, to talk about. I would love to. It's been so fun. And I, I want to uh, give credit where credit's due. I have uh, uh, a friend and a client, Claire Spencer. She gave me permission to share. Yes. A huge fan of yours. And I was like, oh my God, Susie is coming on the podcast. Like, help, like, what are some of the questions that you want me to ask her? And she informed a lot of the questions. So oh, shout out to Claire. Great. And then we kind of like collab, right? She Claire. did a great job with them. Oh, amazing. Because I was like, man, I haven't been asked these. These are really fun. And my favorite is Q&A because I love the, we don't know, right? We yes. don't know where we're going to go. I'm an explorer, right? It's like, yes. let's just go, man. Yes, I that's and the typical, how'd you start? And, you know, yes. I, to I, be I, honest with oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I also appreciate um, you're a great interviewer because an interview, instead of just going through the questions, it's a it's a game of tennis, right? It's like, here's the ball. Okay, yes. now the ball. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much. There were so many amazing things I took away from that conversation. The idea of the triangle, the physical plane, the spiritual plane, the psyche, completing the triangle in order to give something resonance in life is really a beautiful takeaway another thing that i took away was this idea that um 
The way that Sudhaji describes that, her primary thing, she's not operating with goals and specific things to measure. She's operating with this, this understanding, this trust that the universe moves towards benevolence, that it organizes chaos. Uh, I love that so much. Susie, this was an incredible conversation. Thank you for having the heart that you have, your, the drive you have to create a beautiful business. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.